Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name is Kevin Weiss. I'm Ulysses Sembrano. Host of Locked On Rays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for making the Locked On Rays podcast your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Rays is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube at Locked On Rays. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Rays. And you can email us anytime, LockedOnRays at gmail.com. Well, Ulysses, I think it's fair to say that uh, today and tomorrow will be very special episodes for listeners of the Locked On Rays podcast. And do you know why that is? I do. And it was because we had a phenomenal 36-minute chat with uh, no other than Curtis Mean. Mm -hmm. My goodness, uh, what a good talk we had. I I feel like the three of us could have... uh, Talk for hours. Yeah. Uh, you know, after you, you you open up and and you get the rapport going, uh, it, it was such a nice, nice chat with him. It really was. I think uh, we've interviewed quite a few baseball figures, minor leaguers, and I would say not to toot our own horn too much or to toot Curtis Mead's horn too much, but I think it's going to be right up there in terms of the enjoyability factor with the Blake Hunt interview that we had several months ago except in an australian accent right i yes. guess that's the big difference that was very cool so hopefully uh y'all tune in and yeah. again if you want you're going to get the first part of it mm-hmm. right now in segment two and three of this episode but if you can't if you can't contain yourself and mm-hmm. you have to have the interview full well guess what subscribe to youtube where it's fully available for your mm-hmm. enjoyment get yourself some lunch get yourself some drinks enjoy this yes. whole interview on youtube make sure to subscribe and hit Mm -hmm. that like button right that's very well put again so if you want to watch and listen to the curtis mead interview in its entirety you can't wait till tuesday to get part two of the thing that's why we're hyping up the youtube channel folks so be sure you check that out uh ulysses uh before we get to the first part our monday segments of the Curtis Mead interview. We have some brass tacks. We have some business to get down to with the Tampa Bay Rays, the 40 man roster crunch, the rule five draft. Things are moving. Things are happening. And over the weekend, the Rays got rid of a couple of familiar faces, players that uh, Rays fans have known about for a little bit. Mike Brasso and Lewis head. Mike Brasso gets traded to the Brewers for a, lower level minor league pitcher in return. Lewis head goes to the Marlins for cash considerations or a player to be named later. And so what that does is it brings at last count the Rays 40 man roster to 38 men right now. So they have room to add as of right now, two players before the rule five draft on Friday. And uh, that's not going to be it, folks. Remember, the deadline is this Friday. Mm -hmm. So this is just the the ball got slowly uh, rolling with uh, Ryan Sheriff. Yeah. Adam Conley and Cody Reed. Now you add Brasso. You add Lewis Head. Uh, If I have to put some green Skittles on this, Kevin, Mm -hmm. 
We look at Corey Dickerson getting DFA'd after an all-star season. Mm -hmm. You look at uh, Hunter Renfro getting DFA'd last season Mm -hmm. in 2020. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lovable Rays player for four years to get DFA'd. You think? Yes, Kevin Weiss in the back. Choi. Is that who you think it is? G Man Choi is the next guy to fall or leave the Rays organization. G Man Choi smells like CJ Crone, uh, smells like Corey Dickerson, yeah. smells like Hunter Renfro. And when you take uh, uh, you know the arbitration that happened last year, his salary is going to increase mm-hmm. to 3.5 million around that neighborhood. For a guy who has gotten injured, you guys can look back at the player review. We, we we went through it extensively. I wouldn't be surprised if he just gets DFA. Yeah. Because I, if you look at baseball trade value, which is basically just such a toy right now, if you just want to just like spend hours on hours on end making uh you know your your best GM impersonations, it's like social media just a time suck. <laughs> It's a baseball time suck on on BTV, but anyway, yes, I went on there and, and played a, and played for a, for a, for an hour or so, and his value is is basically Fire Eisens and 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 Chaguas. So, yeah. what can you really get for Gma? Not a lot, and you can just unload three point five million. Right, I think he's a DFA candidate. He's definitely on the list. So, assuming that is what happens to Choi, and that brings the roster down to 37. Uh-huh. Do you see any more moves after that? I mean, who are the prospects? Who are the must-add prospects that you're going to see on the Rays roster by Friday, Friday afternoon? I, I, I got four guys. I don't know if you agree okay. with my four, but I, I got Tobias Myers. Okay. For those who don't know, 117 innings pitched, 146 Ks in, in, in those innings, a 390 ERA, 110 whip. Uh, mm-hmm. You need arms. Blake Hunt, a good defensive catcher, very cerebral. Great interview if you mm-hmm. if you uh, haven't listened to that. Ford Proctor, I, I got to keep the catchers. I got to keep those both catchers. And the versatility in the infield, I like it. Yeah. So I got to keep those two okay. guys. I know I'm getting close. Tommy Romero, mm-hmm. 110 innings pitch, a 2.61 ERA, 145 strikeouts, and a .96 whip. Yeah, give me some of that. So having said that, if the roster's a 38 – and Gmon brings it to 37, mm-hmm. and I want four guys of these to get added. Well, guess what, folks? That's 41. So another one has to bite the dust. Do you have a name, Kevin, mm. for me? Uh, could it be like a Honeywell or a Whistler or a Springs or an Ends or a Luplo, maybe? I, I I would I would think is I don't think Ends. I think Ends got has higher value. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised for a Whistler. To, to Although get. they they apparently love Whistler, like oh. if they've got to keep him on the postseason roster, even though he has a <laughs> bum finger and can't throw, but he's just too valuable. So he's too valuable. It might have to be somebody else. Uh, yeah. And and I I've heard rumors about Brennan McKay, but I feel like they're even though that might be a sunk cost, I think they're still going to ride him out well, and keep rolling with him a little bit longer. You could still get that fourth option on McKay. Yeah. This year, so so that that's good news. But yeah, a Honeywell, uh, unfortunately, could be a, could be a guy. Mm-hmm. I, I just I I think those four guys need to get protected. They would probably most likely get picked 
So you need to, uh, those four are my guys. Am I missing anybody in the minor leagues that you think should probably get? I don't think you're missing anybody, but I am not sure. And who knows what's going to happen between now and Friday, but I don't know if the Rays are going to make any more moves. Let me put it like this. I would say the two absolute must adds as of today are Tommy Romero. Yes. No question about it whatsoever. In fact, I expect him to make some sort of impact and Ford Proctor. Okay. I look at Ford Proctor because he had an 800 OPS, I think in double a all season long that from the catcher position. And then you add in the versatility. So say it gets to a point where, uh, you know, he's really not, yeah, he can play catcher, but he's really not a big league catcher. Okay. Put him at short, put him at second, put him somewhere else. And his bat would probably, yeah improve if he moves to one of the middle infield spots or elsewhere compared to dealing with the responsibilities of being a catcher as much as I love Blake hunt. And I do think he is going to be a future big leaguer. I still think it's a little bit early and I know he's rule five eligible, but yes. I just don't know. So he had a six sixty three OPS in double a, I think throughout just 21% of base dealers. And I know those are just a couple stats right there, but I don't know how, another team out there sticks him on their 26 man roster for the entire season. How you justify that. Hmm. And the other thing I add to the equation is the Rays already have three catchers on the 40 man in Renee Pinto, Mike Zanino and Francisco Mejia. So, I mean a fourth. Okay. Maybe with four proctor. Yeah. yeah. I I feel like five's a little bit too much. So I, I, I really think it might just be the two. I think it might just be Ford Proctor and Tommy Romero. And who knows, yeah. maybe the, the Rays get a little bit creative and they see something in like a Ruben Cardenas type or something okay. like that. But I think the consideration that, you know, these teams have to keep them on the 26 man. And if they don't, then they have to offer them back to the original team. So I feel like I, and I, I like Tobias Myers. I think he's, he's a fine prospect. Sure. But is he any better or has more potential than Brent Honeywell. I'm not so sure about that at the moment right now. Well, okay. This, that's only if, if those two guys need to be protected, it's because we're still at 38 on Friday. Right. But I want to put you on the hot seat. Okay. Just like I said, Choi might be out and about what about you? Do you see a raise player raise Jersey mm. that people might have in the stands that is no longer a Ray come Friday. I really don't as of right now. I think it's just the Margot two. Margot stays. Phillips yeah. stays. Kiermaier stays. As of now, as, as until, yes. not saying throughout the entirety right. of the offseason, but just for the sake of adding a couple guys to the 40-man roster. If you look at what happened last year in the additions, two of them were pretty obvious. Josh Lowe and Taylor Walls. Yes. That third guy was Drew Strotman. That one, I think, was the curveball. Mm-hmm. There could be a curveball this year, too. That is true. And what's funny is if you look back at, so I looked at the Rule 5 draft from last year, and really the only recognizable name that was taken from the Rays, taken away from the Rays, was Paul Campbell. Campbell. After that, these names, I haven't heard of half these names, if not more. Amador, Arias, Matt Crook. Well, I guess he was in the Longoria deal, so that was kind of bad. Nicholas Padilla, John Leader Salinas, Romier Bolivar, Justin Marsden. I never heard of these guys before, and somehow they got picked in the rule five. So who knows? Maybe the Rays do kind of clear up some spots to add the obvious ones, the top 30 prospects and so uh, and so forth. I just think it's kind of man, it's it's kind of uh, kind of a gambling act, too, uh, with all this. Now, let me 
let me kind of tie it back in with Brasso no longer on the team and your boy Lewis Head yeah. no longer the team. By the way, we can we can stop with the Lewis Head jokes. Okay. We we know the the newspaper headlines, we they write themselves. Yeah. We, we've we've gotten a lot of that on the social media. Okay, we can we no can more no more no more head for rays. Yeah, there yeah. we go. I I've got a couple headlines for you that I'll I'll tell you <laughs> off air. But okay. um <laughs> Okay. But Brasso, of course, he will, I mean, forever be in Ray's lore and Ray's history oh, for yeah. what he did uh, against the Yankees and Aroldis Chapman. But it was just a case of the Rays have too many good players, too much depth, too many good middle infielders. And I know he kind of got squeezed a little bit with the playing time and it not being too much of a regularity for him. But I also think it was a sort of a deal where he maybe got exposed a little bit in his sophomore season junior season however you want to qualify that where other teams kind of develop a little bit of a book on him and if you look at some of the numbers and metrics like his his exit velocity hard hit rate max exit velocity barrel percentage all that stuff decreased the launch angle actually increased but it when when i think about what mike brasso did or didn't do this season with the rays it seemed like there would be opportunities. He would have a pitch that he could hit and drive. And inevitably a lot of times it would just be a weak pop up to the middle infield. You you know what? It's, it's regrettable that he couldn't just, you know, take that role that he, that he yeah. was given to him, not given, he earned it uh, in, right. in this opening day. It, things just didn't go the way that he wanted them to, but you are 100% right. You, he was just not the same guy. Yeah. He, he fell in a, in, in a slump and pitchers knew what exactly to, to hit them. But I think this is a win-win trade for the race. I think this yeah. is a, a, the, what the Brewers and the Rays are doing right now is fantastic mm-hmm. for baseball. It's good for the Brewers to get a guy who can have a, a positional versatility, who can smash lefties. I think yeah. this is a great trade for the Brewers and a great trade for the race. You, you clear off the spot. You are going to get a guy with a slider, a, a plus fastball. Yeah. The strikeout per nine is insane mm-hmm. with this kid. I think it's like 15. It's nuts. I think it's yeah. a win-win trade. Good for Brasso. Nothing for the be- nothing but the best for Brasso. And one day, maybe they they make a, a, with the new stadium. They have a big Brasso. Maybe not a statue, but a Brasso. No, I like it. And you know what? Good for Brasso because he might get a little bit more of an opportunity. I yes. mean, seemingly the the Brewers like him and can use him more than the Rays. I mean, it it just got to a point where. You, you can't even find playing time for Vidal Brujan and Taylor Walls right now. So right. At, it's right. Mike Bross is just going to keep getting pushed down the list. Now, he does get to return back to the Midwest. I mean, Milwaukee is less than two hours from him, his hometown. So I think that that kind of benefits him That's too. Nice. But, you know, I, I just I, I go back and look at the video and, you know, he has such a unique stance yeah. and that that leg kick, that front leg that he just keeps up in the air and, and so pronounced I, and, and he already is, is closed a little bit. I think he gets exploited with inside pitches and it, 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 it's not as not saying everybody has to have the same stance and swing, but it's like the antithesis of Avi Garcia, where it's just a little toe tap. Yes. And, and a simple swing where Brasso had a lot of stuff going on. You know and I feel like that stuff? left a lot of room for holes. Willie Adamas had a yeah. lot of stuff. And he figured out in Brewers. Is there something happening in the Brewers organization that they're helping Avi Garcia, Willie Adamas? Can they succeed with Mike Brasso there? I I think this is a great opportunity for him. 
nothing but the best for him. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll always remember him fondly. Yeah. And then uh, you've got, it, it just seems like the, the Rays and the Brewers and the Rays and the Marlins are just making deal after deal year after year. This yeah. is becoming a, a common theme here. In fact, if you look at both those teams, they got a lot of former Rays, although I think just about every team has former race because there's yes. so much movement, but Lewis head, I know you were a fan of Lewis head, but it just, the Durham shuffle, him being left off the postseason roster, him not really getting, not saying he didn't earn them, but just wasn't given the the high leverage opportunities. It was a lot of mop up duty or, or, Hey, we just need a couple innings and low leverage, medium leverage. And uh, the, I mean, credit to the Rays for finding this 31 year old rookie who was yeah. selling solar panels and telling him, this is how you need to throw your slider to become a more effective pitcher and, and make it to the big leagues. But um, it, it, it just seems like one of those moves where the Rays fixed a guy or got the best out of him. Time to move along. There's the Rays have so many other players. They can find the next Lewis head. It, it, it was John Curtis 2.0. Yeah, that's what Lewis head was. Who's now on the Brewers, I think, after going... Wasn't he on the Marlins? Yes, he was. That's exactly the yeah. same trade. So it, it's going to keep on happening, yeah. the revolving door. But but we'll see, people. We'll see what's going to happen. Friday is the deadline. Let's right. see who gets protected. Let's see who doesn't. Uh, maybe there's an extra trade. But I will say this. I do not think any of the big names are going, except for maybe Choi. That's my mm -hmm. DFA candidate. I do not think a KK trade is imminent. I do not think a Wendell trade is imminent. I do not. I do not think a a, a Margot Phillips trade is imminent. Mm. But the Choi DFA, I okay. would not be surprised. Little prop bet action. I I think the the Rays just had two players to the forty man uh, that weren't on there previously. While you have what four? I have guys? four. Okay. So maybe it's three. <laughs> it might be in the middle. We'll we'll wait and see. Uh, before we get to the first part of our interview with Curtis Mead, we have to tell you about DirecTV Stream. DirecTV Stream is a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. DirecTV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part of it all, there is no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That is directtv.com. Today, Ulysses, we have a very special guest, uh, one of the Tampa Bay Rays top prospects a guy who is being talked about all over the interweb uh, for his performance in the Arizona Fall League so far this season, Curtis Mead. Curtis, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Uh, we appreciate it. And, you know, you I read that you were recently named uh, Fall League All-Star. Congratulations on that. And the numbers that you've put up in the Fall League have been insane. Uh, last I checked, you had a seven-game multi-hit streak, 18-game hit streak. What has allowed you to click so much offensively in the AFL so far? Yeah, I think I just uh, kind of built off a really solid year this year, came in with a, a ton of confidence. Um, I wasn't really sure what kind of the standard would be like, so I think, yeah, just coming in with no expectations and building off a, a good summer. And what has the competition been like in the fall league compared to the minor league season? Because I know you played in low A and then went to high A and then had a cup of coffee in triple A this year. So what's the, the competition and the style of play been compared to the traditional minor league season? 
Yeah, I, I think it probably fit somewhere around the double-A, triple-A standard. You know, you got a lot of talented low-A, high-A guys and and a bunch of really polished double-A, triple-A guys. So, yeah, probably around that standard. I, I want to take us back uh, before 2021 and your amazing 2021 year, and I want to go back to Curtis Mead as a, as a little kid. Okay, yeah. what is your earliest sports memory? I understand that your father also played baseball and he was a part of the Australian uh, league over there. So what is your earliest sports memory and how did you get into baseball? Is it just because your dad was there or, you know, you just love the sports? Yeah. So definitely my dad was a big influence. You know, people in Australia don't really just pick up a baseball bat and that's not really part of our culture. So yeah, probably from the age five to seven, dad would take me out to T-ball just down the road and, I started playing T-ball and, you know, he was the coach because he was one of the only parents who really knew the rules to the game. So, so yeah, probably from age five to seven T-ball and then started playing um, in the junior levels um, down at West Torrance Baseball Club, which is in my hometown of Adelaide. So, And then, yeah, continue to work up the junior ranks there and, yeah, build on from there. Now, at the time, were you also playing other sports, rugby or basketball, football, or was it always just baseball? Uh, no, I played uh, Australian rules football for a lot of years. And, you know, up until I was 16, that was kind of really what I wanted to do. Um, I was a pretty talented player and, you know, I was like, oh, baseball's fun. But, you know, AFL, like I can be in Australia. Like there wasn't really a pathway for me to play baseball in Australia. So I was like, oh, well, why would I leave the country? You know, I can be a professional athlete here. And then, uh, yes, age 16 kind of came around. I made the Australian team and I was kind of like, damn, like, maybe I could do this, you know, traveling to America wouldn't be too bad. It'd be a really good experience. Maybe I could go to college. And then, yeah, kind of when I was 17, I knew that I was a, a pretty good chance of uh, playing professionally. When you were playing baseball, was there uh, uh, that young Curtis Mead looking up to the MLB stars and saying, mm, I like how he, uh, he, he plays. I, I want to swing like that. I want to play like that guy. Uh, maybe I root for a certain team. W was that... Uh, in your head, a favorite player or a favorite MLB team? Uh, yeah, I was I was probably actually, unfortunately, a Yankees fan. Um, <laughs> oh, had, no. Uh, um, yeah, so growing up, because they would show, you know, one game a week in Australia, and it'd usually be a Yankees game, a Red Sox game, or a, a Dodgers game, you know, one of the big market teams. So lots of the time on, on a Sunday morning, it would be Saturday night, and they'd show, you know, a Boston Red Sox-Yankees game. So... Yeah, and I really like the way Jeter played. You know, he was probably probably my favorite player growing up. So, yeah, it was pretty cool from a young age to be able to watch how he handled himself and how he played the game. Interesting. And, Curtis, kind of going back to the transition from Australia to the U.S., what was the adjustment like for you of navigating both those countries and trying to get settled into the culture and lifestyle of the United States? What was the, the biggest adjustment for you early on? Uh, I can't really pinpoint an adjustment, but I mean, yeah, it was really challenging at first. You know, I initially with the Phillies signed over there and I didn't have a car, you know, I didn't know the area. I didn't know what f places to eat. Like it was like, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so yeah, probably just the whole experience in general for the first two months, you know, finding my feet. Um, I definitely miss home. You know, I had to do my own laundry all of a sudden. I had to cook my own food or go and buy food. So yeah, probably that whole process. 
And then uh, what about the competition and style of play on the field? How was that different or how did that change from Australia to the U.S.? Yeah, it was definitely a faster-paced game initially. You know, we had some really talented guys, some guys throwing hard. So probably just the overall speed of the game, um, how hard pitches through, how how fast guys run. You know, I came over as a, a somewhat decent runner for Australia and I was one of the slowest guys on the team. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, like, this is crazy. There were some really talented guys over here, so... Right. And and following up on that, of course, I mean, you had a terrific, terrific minor league season and uh, it, it just seems like Ulysses every every other day or every other week, there's a Curtis Mead article that pops up or yes. somebody is sending out a tweet or social media message about this guy is just crushing it in baseball right now. But you, you navigated three different leagues this year, going from low A to high A to triple A. Uh, all in one season. What was that like for you of going to three different levels and um, how much of an adjustment was that for you? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of awesome really for me because I'd kind of come in, I'd played in Australia, I'd played well in Australia, but my only baseball in America was GCL. So I had no Mm -hmm. real expectations or anything. You know, I was like, I was pumped to be going to low A. I was like, I'm not the complex. I get to go and explore. And I kind of took everything in stride this year and just kind of, took it to prove myself a bit, you know, at the start of the year, I wasn't on any prospect lists or anything. So I was like, you know what, let's just see what I can do. Let's see how I can play. And let me just kind of get used to playing every day. Cause that was a, uh, something that was pretty new to me still. So, yeah. Yeah. And Curtis, uh, following up on that a little bit, how often do you check the prospect list and see where you're ranking? Like I think uh, MLB.com has you at 14th and I, I know, you know, fan graphs and baseball perspectives change things around a little bit, but is that something you, check in periodically of, okay, they've, they've bumped me up a little bit or they pushed me down or they, they have this <laughs> scouting report that's changed on me. How much are you kind of tied into that stuff? Uh, I take a little bit of notice of it, definitely, but it's not something that I get too caught up with. You know, I think it was probably maybe June or July I got put on and that was kind of the only really time that I was like, damn, this is pretty awesome. Like some guys writing about me, he thinks I'm going to be in the big leagues in 2023 and, and this is what he thinks I do well and what I need to work on. So, was, yeah, that was kind of cool. But then from now, I, you know, I didn't really check in with it too much. And and now that I I got some recognition, I guess, for, for how I started the season, that was, that was pretty cool. But, yeah, now I just kind of take it as it comes. You know, I think definitely the Rays have a different list to everyone else's. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I don't really get too caught, caught up in that. Okay, well, you know, Kevin, I, I, I love Thanksgiving, all of the good food and treats, and there are plenty of them. But you know what? I also want something that is low calorie, low carb, low fat, and high protein. You know what that is? Built Bar. Built Bar, baby. Oh, my goodness. You guys love them. There are so many good flavors. And with the holidays coming up, guess what? You can always get something that is good for you and that tastes really, really yummy. Most Belt Bars are only 130 calories and only four grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Guess what? You can also share them at family gatherings. It will make things a little bit less awkward, maybe. And Betty hasn't tried a Belt Bar yet. And you Aunt Betty, say, get over here. Get here and get some Belt Bar in you. Okay. There's nothing also like Belt Bar Black Friday. So you got to mark your calendar, people. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. And you already know what you have to do. You go to built.com and you choose all of the built bars that you want. And right before you hit purchase, you say, wait, hold on. 
There's a promo code here. It's LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you will get 15% off your order. So use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Now, now you're getting, you see, you're talking about the prospect rankings and, and the articles being ri- ri- uh, written up. You obviously have an idea of your game, of what you want to do, of what you want people to know Curtis Mead as. If yeah. you have to pick one aspect of your game that you want people to think when they think Curtis Mead, what is it? Is it the smooth hands? Is it the hitting ability? The plate discipline? just being a good teammate. What is that one thing that you want people to think about Curtis Mead when they're talking about Curtis? Uh, I mean, you definitely touched on the good teammate thing. You know, I, I try to be a really good clubhouse guy, but I think on-field ability, definitely my hitting. You know, I try and pr- pride myself on being a really tough out and not giving in to pitches. So, yeah, if I can if I can put together four or five good at-bats a night, then I'm I'm pretty happy. That's good. Uh, you know, we, you, we talked about being starting in, with the Phillies organization, obviously now with the Rays. Uh, we, we've talked to other minor leaguers and and they do say that the Rays just operate differently than other organizations. In, in your opinion, in your in your perspective, how do they operate differently? What have you noticed that the Rays do that's maybe other uh, uh, you know, teams don't. What What are they focusing on? What is the 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 special sauce that the Tampa Bay Rays seem to have? Um, I I think definitely you know they find something in players that other teams don't don't see. Um, I think the scouting department is really good. They don't seem to lose many trades. They draft really well, and I think obviously the player development is uh is really good as well. So yeah, I would I'm I'm not sure there's one particular aspect, but I think as a as the whole organization, you know, the coaches are really good, the scouts are really good, um, the the players within the the system are really good. We push each other and yeah, I think the coaches are really good at kinda like knowing what you do well and continuing to work on that, but then also understanding what other aspects of the game that you need to improve on to become a you know an everyday major league player? You talk about scouts. You talk about you know the front office. Uh, how is that you know colliding between useful information that you get uh, as a player, and it's not just a bunch of you know graphs and and letters and and numbers put together. How how do you draw that line as a ball player saying this is useful information? This is too much. Uh, 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 this is this is too much. So how how do you draw that line, or is that line being drawn for the players already? Yeah, I, I would definitely go with the second. You know, I think the coaches do a really good job of kind of interpreting the data from the front office and the scouts, and then relaying it onto the players as like these are the aspects we want you to work on, and and these are what we value um, as an offense offensive group in the minor leagues, and and then the exact same thing goes with the pitching, you know, the pitching coaches do a really good job at telling the pitchers of what they value and what, you know, how they rate all their pitches throughout the year and, and what they need to work on. So, yeah, I think, I think the coaches do a really good job of drawing that line for us. So we don't really get too caught up in it all. Yeah. Coming from Australia, Kevin, then, uh, Philly's organization, then the Tampa Bay race, it's a very diverse, uh, world, mm-hmm. the baseball world is now going to Arizona, Curtis, uh, I, I I hear that you might be a little bit uh, of of a linguist, and 
And I, I don't know. I just want to say, ¿Cómo está tu español? Uh, <laughs> how, how, how is that going for you? Are you, are you learning some Spanish uh, with, the, with the Latin players? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, that was completely new to me because obviously in America, that's kind of like the second language taught. Um, but in Australia, you know, we don't, it's either Japanese or it's German or it's French, you know, there's no Spanish whatsoever. Um, so yeah, kind of when I first came over, it was kind of an opener to how many obviously talented Latin plays there are, but you know, the coach is talking to us in English and then all of a sudden he starts talking in Spanish to the players and I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I was kind of a big eye opener and the Phillies actually went also with the Phillies. They made it compulsory that the players at the lowest level learned Spanish and obviously the Spanish players were learning English. So yeah, that was a definitely very humbling and you know it was a long a big jump for me but at least I, I spoke the same language you know what I mean so yeah I definitely commend those guys that come over here and work hard and uh, and know two languages now and yeah play play baseball in in another country where they don't even know their primary language you know maybe we should we, we should you know teach each other uh, Kevin I don't know maybe I should teach you some Spanish for it to do some some podcast episodes in Spanish there too. we go that that's an idea how about yeah, that yeah, yeah. Uh, you, uh, talking about Australia and, and what you 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 your memories are from there I, I looked this up uh, uh, 34 Australian uh, players have played in the MLB yeah uh, what I have two buckets for you here. Bucket number one, a childhood dream of being an MLB all-star, rubbing elbows with Mike Trout and, and, and Jacob deGrom. You didn't and, name any Rays there. Why not uh, Brandon Lau, Austin Meadows? Well, you know, he already is going to meet okay. them in spring training. There you know? It's that's not the that. same. <laughs> so that's bucket number one. You're in the MLB all-star. You're the new, hottest, biggest thing in baseball. Bucket yeah. number two, you're in the green and gold in the World Baseball Classic, and you've got Australia on your chest. If you have to pick one of those two buckets, which one do you go for? Uh, yeah, that's really challenging. Uh, I'd probably say play for Australia. Um, you know, that's something that I hold very, very close to my heart. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be able to do a few times. So yeah, I would, I would say play for Australia, but then on the other hand, you know, that would, being in the all-star game and playing with those type of caliber players would be something that I, you know, I still don't really think is possible. Obviously that's something I strive to become and, and something that every day that I continue to play well and, and do well becomes more of a possibility. But yeah, that, that just kind of seems surreal and, and not really possible at the moment. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take the option of uh, playing for Australia just because I've done it. And I don't know how special it is. Very good. And uh, Curtis, Ulysses mentioned that 34 Aussies have played in the MLB. Do you have a favorite player of all time uh, from your home country that, that got the chance to play in the big leagues? Um, not particularly. Uh, I mean, it's impressive right now to watch kind of what Liam Hendricks has been doing, and it, mm -hmm. it's really inspiring, you know, becoming the best relief pitcher in the AL uh, is a pretty special opportunity. But no, not particularly. I mean – I more take into account the experiences that I've had with those type of guys and the, and the, uh, the things I'm learning from them. And, and yeah, some of them are playing a really big role in kind of my development and helping me through everything, which has been awesome. So, yeah. And you mentioned Liam Hendricks and it does seem like, uh, mostly 
pitchers from Australia have had success yeah. in the big leagues compared to position players. Uh, Curtis, do you have any insight into why that may be? Why more pitchers from Australia have had success compared to position players? Is it a cultural thing? Is it, were there some guys that, you know, a, a couple guys made it to the bigs and they went back home and then it just kind of matriculated to where, you know, y- you look up to a certain type of player and then you want to become that player. You right. want to become a pitcher and go from there. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. It's uh, I've, it's honestly an interesting question. You know, I get it a lot and mm-hmm. there are really a lot of talented major league hitters, you know, Dave Nielsen was an all-star. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a pitcher. P- that list would definitely have more, more high end pitchers than hitters. So yeah, I'm not totally sure. I know lots of the pitchers do come back. Um, Josh Benz comes to mind. He comes back to my hometown and he helps out a lot of guys back there, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sure why it's, why it's mainly pitches. So. Okay. This wraps up part one of our interview with Ray's rising minor league prospect, Curtis Mead. Part two will be airing on Tuesday on the podcast. Again, if you want to watch and hear that interview in its entirety, want to get a leg up on the competition, you can do that. On YouTube, go but, to our YouTube channel. But Kevin, that. they gotta subscribe. They yes. gotta subscribe to your YouTube channel. They have to hit that like button, and they have to leave comments on that mm-hmm. comment box. You know, yeah, they, you've got to participate on YouTube. It's fun. We've we've got great stuff on there. Mm-hmm. We've got great facial features and gesturing here yes. with pens and drinking teas. And I've drinking spilled water. my water a couple times. Yeah, I on spil- YouTube, I spilled my microphone. Like microphone malfunction. That was a legendary moment. Like Cosmo Kramer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So go to YouTube.com right now and search Locked on Rays. Subscribe and like that video. Every video. Why not? One of these days, uh, one of us is going to fall out of our chair. That's going to be the next thing. I feel there you like. go. Yeah. I like that. Or we're going to spill mustard on our shirt like Mark Topkin. That might be the next iteration. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Uh, so again, check out that YouTube channel of ours and subscribe. And I mean, while we're throwing things out, feel free to leave us rating and reviews on iTunes, Apple Podcast as well. Uh, thank you for making the Locked on Race podcast your first listen every day. Now make your second listen, the Locked on Bets podcast. Have a great day, everybody. We will talk to you tomorrow.